1: Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today we are going to discuss about the role of entrepreneurship in global business. I have with me Paul Singh, an author, entrepreneur and a mentor. Paul is a serial entrepreneur who has created many successful companies in the software business he is in silicon valley we couldn't have found a better person to talk about entrepreneurship than him straight from the silicon valley he worked in uh, uh, various marketing and product management companies but after doing all the good stuff in the large corporations he founded his own companies one of the companies he founded went public while the other three were acquired he is currently an advisor and mentor to many startups in the business-to-business software areas. He has held in the past senior management roles uh, in various functions, marketing, product management, business development, etc. in companies including Lucent, Cisco, Sun Microsystem, and 3Com. He's also written three books. On the internet related subjects. Currently Paul is the CEO of Startup Strategies where he works with startups in their go-to-market strategies and with large companies on their innovation initiatives. He is also a charter member of Thai Silicon Valley, a nonprofit whose goal is to foster entrepreneurship worldwide. He also helps in organizing Tycon, which is one of the largest
2: entrepreneurial conferences in the world. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Mahesh. Uh, Thanks for inviting me and giving me this opportunity uh, to talk to folks. So, thank you.
1: So, Paul, we have a very interesting subject today. Uh, We have been talking in our program about global business, globalization, emerging markets, future of work, future of worker. Today, uh, we'll be focusing our discussion on entrepreneurship. Uh, The nature of entrepreneurship has shifted dramatically. In the industrial era in the past, most of the companies would build their business first in the domestic markets. And then, once established, they would expand into global markets it was not that easy to go global but in the digital era where reach is massive there is a massive shift and entrepreneurs can take their companies to global markets from the inception so you can call the new generation of entrepreneurs they're born global today we are going to discuss what has changed the nature of business, the character of these companies and the factors impacting their success or failure. You know the key words uh, which you are seeing nowadays are entrepreneurship. We also see the word globalization being used very often and digital economy. It's understood that they are interwoven for success of a business but our discussion today will be focused on the entrepreneurship since it has a major role in uh, digital age. And definitely entrepreneurship is not a new term, uh, but it's obviously uh, becoming now more of a mainstream term. So um, would you share with our uh, with listeners, how do you define this term, just to give some background, and what are its origins?
2: Yeah, you know, the term entrepreneurship... Um, It was actually coined around the 1920s, but the original word entrepreneur, it's actually a loan word from French, and it was coined in 1723, believe it or not. Wow. And in the 20th century, you know, entrepreneurship first time, and it's kind of the current form, really was studied by an economist, uh, Joseph Schumpeter, and he wrote a lot in the 1930s about it. Now, interestingly, he described entrepreneurship as the creative destruction that involves replacement and creation.
1: Well, so it was not just limited to creating something new. The general impression is you're creating a new business, you're starting something new.
2: It is replacing something old with better in future also. Exactly. Ah. Exactly. So, he, in fact, he talked about it, replaced in whole or in part inferior offerings across the markets and industries while simultaneously creating new products and new business models and believe it or not the creative destruction as he described it is largely responsible for a lot of economic growth Um, you know let me give an example from what he described in his times if you look at the steam engine in those days and the horse carriage If you combine these two things, what was born is what we know as automobile today. And if I look in today's time, you know, every one of us know about e-commerce industry. But what is e-commerce? It's a combination of retail, mail order, and web. So therefore, bottom line is as much as this creative destruction means only creating new things. Actually, entrepreneurs don't necessarily create brand new things. They actually take some of the ideas that work and some of the ideas that don't work and sort of combine them in a more unique way to create new products, new technologies. And That's really what, you know, what he described as the entrepreneurship. And today it's probably more true than ever before
1: yeah like uh, very well said because as you gave the brilliant example of steam engine and horse carriage similarly today if somebody started e-commerce industry basically he picked up the gaps there are retail stores and there is a web and just combine the two it's it's a new business model it's nothing new you're combining two existing uh,
2: businesses exactly so I think the entrepreneurship sort of is not just about, you know, there is always a breakthrough technology. A lot of time, it's, it's a change of business models and, um, and how that has come about. Uh, now, interestingly, another, you know, one of my favorite economists, uh, who people call him political economist, uh, Robert Wright, um, he considers, you know, an entrepreneur is someone who has the leadership the management ability, and above all, a team-building ability. And that's what makes, in his mind, a successful entrepreneur.
1: Right. So it's not just only starting a business. Uh, how you use the qualities of leadership, and I, if I may put there even managing the lack of resources when you are an entrepreneur starting a business initially and make the most out of the resources you have and... Uh, and the people you have been provided, and, and 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 the knowledge base you have.
2: Exactly, you're absolutely right.
1: Would you say any small business than anything is is that an entrepreneur? Every
2: small business? Well, at at one level it should be, but if you look at strictly the definition of how entrepreneurship was defined, not every small business really qualifies. To be called such Um, because many small businesses tend to focus on a lot of existing products where there is a lot of demand a lot of market business models are already well known and they just you know they're just one in many i.e. you know somebody opening a motel in a small town or a big town is is kind of not really innovative Mm -hmm. it's 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 a small business in its classical sense but if I look at Airbnb coming in and innovated the whole model of how uh, this motel business you know, got turned on its head, now that is an entrepreneurial organization where they took this, some of the existing concepts, turned it on its head, invented a new business model and have a constant sort of looking forward to a high growth and that's you know, people who created Airbnb, therefore, are, in a true sense, an entrepreneur.
1: Mm. So maybe there is, uh, between the industrial age to digital age, there is definitely a shift in the definition of entrepreneur efforts also. Because earlier, if, say, you are in, in the middle of Kentucky, could be a town called Calvert City, Calvert City and uh, there is a demand for a hotel because of industry, there are no hotel. and somebody comes and opens, he was counted as entrepreneur. But now the way airbnb the example you gave uh, it, it's more of a revolutionary entrepreneurship that you're going on a big way without finding that kind of mesh where just an open space was there there was a demand you opened a hotel
2: yeah i mean i think you said in the beginning right that it is we're kind of entering this age of the where globalization is so much easier to achieve than was possible before yeah because Because of this, you know, power of Internet and the smartphone in everybody's hand, you know, you kind of you have an opportunity to communicate with anybody, anytime, anywhere, which didn't exist before.
1: Right. That's that's a major game changer. But while on the subject, would you think would you say that entrepreneurship is restricted to smaller companies only?
2: Startups? uh, Not really, because you know it's it's sort of a myth. Like I think that's why I quoted Robert Wright last time is that essentially it's it's uh, entrepreneurship is not just a big company thing. You know, yes, people coined another term for it called intrapreneurship, where you entrepreneurship to me is a state of mind. It's a it's a way to figure out how with a very you know limited resources. How am I going to change the world? How am I going to create something new, something of value? And that is something people in big companies also deal with. Not every big company has lots of resources assigned to a lot of new products. And then somehow some of these products, even with the least amount of resources, come ahead and create some really, really great products, right? And Mm -hmm. so that tends to be called intrapreneurship. Which is you know inside the corporate ventures or some large entities which are being spun off and so on. Um, so to me, uh, entrepreneurship is not just about you know smaller companies and startups, but it is it's a it's a mindset, it's a state of mind that the companies need to possess in order to actually uh, be valuable in the future. That's a very good
1: point because if If you're a large company, you're not short of resources, your processes, systems already set. Yeah, at one point of time, it could be a disadvantage, the only one way of doing things. But a small startup or a small venture, when you start, you don't have those resources, but but you have an entrepreneurial spirit and mindset. So if a large organization can develop an entrepreneurial mindset in the organization, in the team there, Probably they can they can produce brilliant results because the thing which are missing uh, uh, in in a small or a new entity are already available uh, with a large organization and the bandwidth of supporting that venture is, is much larger.
2: Yes, I mean I think a, an entrepreneur working inside of a large company has both the positive and the negative. The positive being. A lot of the new systems that every small company has to recreate already exist and to some extent, that is also the negative because that system comes in your way of uh, innovating, in your way of doing things little differently and so it's, it's sort of as much as it is an advantage, it also becomes a disadvantage
1: right so a large organization have this major disadvantage that systems are already set in and there is an inertia if they are willing to have that kind of mindset that as needed uh, they flex it and they change it they can be um, a lot of entrepreneurs supporting a large corporation uh, paul thank you so much it's been a good discussion we'll take a short break and we'll be back for our second segment Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today we are discussing the role of entrepreneurship in global business uh, with Paul Singh, an author, entrepreneur and a mentor. Uh, Paul, we were talking about uh, the small companies and the impact of entrepreneurship on large companies. Now, you have been living in Silicon Valley for years and it has been leading in the race to entrepreneurship why is so why silicon valley is leading
2: you know um i think um entrepreneurship succeeds because of a ecosystem around it and what does that ecosystem really contain the first and foremost is world-class universities because there is a lot of research a lot of new ideas come out of there um, now obviously many places have world-class universities but they still don't produce enough entrepreneurs so the second part of it is the availability of capital and well you can say you know availability of capital exists everywhere else you know you look at London or you look at any of the other financial centers like New York and mm-hmm. that's not where the entrepreneurship fl- flourished so, the third thing that I think is really, really important is an ability for people or willingness of people to take risks. Where, you know, failure is not looked at negatively. In fact, in Silicon Valley, sometimes failure is considered positive. It's not hard to see how many companies in their recruitment sometimes put this as a requirement. I mean, I've seen some job descriptions of, you know, startups looking for people and they say, hey, you know, we're looking for entrepreneurs who have succeeded, but also entrepreneurs who have tried and failed.
1: That may sound pretty strange you- in, a, in a regular business environment. They're looking for somebody who has failed, but there must be some good lessons coming with that failure.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's a known thing that people really learn more from failures than from success. Right, And so there is a lot of good learning that happens from failure. And rather than rejecting that, Silicon Valley tends to kind of embrace it, which is another reason why I think people are sort of more willing to take those risks or that's how the culture has kind of been built. Um, you know, I can give you an example. To me, uh, the best Whenever I go into a city, I go into coffee shops and try to see what is it that people are talking about. Now, in Silicon Valley, when you go into the coffee shop, you will be surprised at how many people are actually making presentation of their ideas to others and seems like cooperating with others or trying to figure out, hey, you know, I have such and such idea. What do you think? And trying to get feedback from people who've been there. And the willingness of other people to actually spend that little time and help you out and uh, giving you that feedback, you know, that's somewhat unique to Silicon Valley. And so these are the things, the availability of mentors, the availability of you know, the skills to grow your company, to create your company, and so on, now has become a unique differentiation of Silicon Valley that doesn't exist anywhere.
1: Yeah, so there is there's an ecosystem which promotes it. Plus, also there is a support system where uh, um, you can you can pull on the knowledge of others, and they're willing to share it. There could be an ecosystem, but no support mechanism. It may become very difficult for for a new startup. But that that's uh, very impressive. The example which you gave of the coffee shops that clearly shows that there is a strong culture uh, for. Uh, this kind of uh, happenings in entrepreneurship. So, do you think uh, the Silicon Valley model uh, is replicatable? Like, it, it can be, uh, it can gain grounds in other places also?
2: So, I think um, my recommendation is that I think many countries, many cities have kind of, you know, they come to Silicon Valley immersion programs a lot. And then they you know the bureaucrats go back and try to replicate the model as they saw around them, not realizing their own culture, their own limitations, and things that work in their environment versus not. So I think my feeling or recommendation is that Silicon Valley is its own, right? And don't try to replicate everything you see in Silicon Valley because you just can't the same people and put them there so the system isn't going to work right right so instead you have to understand what your unique environment is what is it that it thrives on what is it that really is going to get people involved and my only recommendation is that you know you create your own culture you create your own Silicon Valley things obviously learn from uh, what's happening around and I think another important thing that is really really important key Silicon Valley doesn't think About governments does not really care about governments if you might and a lot of times governments actually come in the way of entrepreneurship and the one thing I would urge any country or any city or any county trying to replicate this model is stay away from creating regulations and rules and things which you may be thinking you're trying to make their lives easier, but you might end up making it difficult. Yes, you need, you know, you need systems in place. Like, you know, you probably heard the case recently in India mm-hmm. where an entrepreneur was jailed because his company failed, and somebody came in and sort of said, "Oh, you know, he owed me such and such, and therefore um, I'm going to file an FIR against him." now that is not something conducive to you know having a startup culture because startups do fail Mm -hmm. fail a lot Mm -hmm. and so one thing that the country has to really do is you know in this regard one should study the laws of the u.s which are actually pretty favorable to business despite everything else we the rhetoric and political term we hear but they are actually very favorable to creating business and sometimes for business to fail gracefully
1: i think you bring in very good points you know what i gathered one was about the governments either governments if they want silicon silicon valley is a right example of how entrepreneurship has thrived and how it has created innovation you can call it it has become hotbed of innovation now if you cannot support innovation or entrepreneurship, at least don't come in its way. And uh, the other point which you mentioned about replicating Silicon Valley, you cannot replicate as it is. That's very true. Because if you look at the other hotbeds of entrepreneurship, and in particular, if I look at startups, Austin in Texas, very different environment doing different things. Then if you look at Tel Aviv, another hotbed in Israel look at Singapore, mm-hmm. uh, you look at Netherlands, uh, what they are doing and of course in Bangalore and say if you compare mm-hmm. them you will see very different environment but yes, definitely some common factors but uh, you cannot replicate a Silicon Valley as it is, work on your strengths for that particular geographies and how you make the environment um, easy for those entrepreneurs uh, to uh, come out with their innovative ideas
2: yeah no i think you you're absolutely right i mean i uh, work i told like you said i work with uh, also google in their launchpad initiative where they're working with companies from developing countries and helping them and so i'm a part of the mentoring team of uh, you know various mentors who come and advise these companies now I've been involved with this for about two years and I keep seeing the quality of entrepreneurs from developing countries constantly improving, constantly more and more entrepreneurs are, you know, they they understand the business environment they are in, they understand how to uh, create these companies, how to thrive in their environments and so on uh, because they understand their local environment better than anybody and so i think the the bug of entrepreneurship fortunately is catching up worldwide and there are companies and organizations that are coming forward to help these causes uh you know to tell you an example i was uh, also at uh, you know when president obama did an initiative on global entrepreneurship uh, in uh, 2015 i believe uh, or actually early part of 2016 and there were about you know, 10 companies that came to tie Silicon Valley for entrepreneurship for a day. And I was blown away by meeting some of the entrepreneurs. And obviously, these were cream of the crop chosen, you know, by the State Department. Um, but there were there was a company called Live Cosmetics from Senegal, where they figured out they were going to build the beauty products for women of color, because that is something local. Then I met a woman um, from Guatemala who created a company for men's fashion, a company called Carvara. And interestingly, most of their sales are in the US, with San Francisco being the number one market for them. Um, so the point I'm trying to say is that that is already, you know, it, it's kind of starting to happen more and more entrepreneurship is starting to emerge, even from the developing countries, which is really good. I just wish that the governments just make life easier for the entrepreneurs and then let them flourish on their own.
1: Yeah, I think that could be a lesson for the governments if they want the economic growth. Because, uh, uh, Paul, in one of our programs earlier on, uh, uh, on, on the digital age, uh, we had a statistics come out in United States which is uh, the biggest economy in the world. In last 30 years, at least three-fourths of the time, 75 percent of the times the net positive job creation was through startups because the uh, conventional corporations could not create enough job creation. So it was coming to somewhere positive 2.5. If you took out the contribution from startups uh, which included uh, you know apple coming up in 97 second time uh, when they really took off facebooks and google's and everything so conventional industry had a role it will always have a role but this entrepreneurship and uh, uh, the startups their contribution to job creation and to the economy uh, one can see how the largest economy in the world has gained so as you rightly said if you don't have regulations i won't say don't have regulation you need regulations but don't have stifling regulations from government or there are policy interventions by government some countries have done it to uh, 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 to let companies set up startups and and mm-hmm. those are expected to gain from those efforts but i still feel uh, as you were discussing earlier and if you can't give positive regulations, at least get out of their way. And these economies exactly. have created these these startups and entrepreneurship has shown how they have created new products, new business models, and and that's a very big positive. Paul, um, uh, we are coming to the end of this segment. We'll take a short break, and we'll continue after the break.
3: or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417. Or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are having a very interesting discussion uh, with Paul Singh from California, Silicon Valley, where he's based at That how is entrepreneurship taking change uh, from industrial era to digital era. Uh, Paul, when we uh, finished uh, the second segment, we are talking about the role of governments and how they can help uh, the entrepreneurship and startup culture. Uh, can you share with our listeners today, how has the entrepreneurship changed in the last few years? Things have been changing very fast.
2: So, let I me mean, kind of relate it to my experience in the, in the Silicon Valley itself, where most of the companies are kind of tech companies. And the first phase of the companies that came in they were just trying to develop hardware, software, so that, you know, computing became mainstream for all of us, right? So you know you know the example of Microsoft and, you know, Apple and others in the first uh, generation who came in and, you know, they created software that we started using in business day to day. And then the second phase of the companies came in, such as Google and Facebook and others, where they were trying to get a common person to get involved with technology, it wasn't a purview of few select people, but you know now, as we know, you know even you know my father, who, who can actually do a Google search and ask a question of, of Siri and others, which wasn't really possible before True. so that was kind of the second generation of what the technology industry did however if you look at it now the developing software has kind of become almost a commodity and so as a result the technology industry is focusing more on developing new business models than creating brand new technology in many cases
1: and these, so business models, an these business models sorry for interruption. introduction these business models are replicable and they're impacting uh, the other industries also they're not limiting itself to software they're hitting everywhere
2: yeah I mean you, you see that every day right yeah. I mean you know there is Uber mm-hmm. uh, as a taxi service worldwide which got started in the US but you go to China and there is a DD and if you go to India there is Ola Cab and so on so it's 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 a very new model of you know a a business model that they created today can be replicated by many many companies in their own economies many entrepreneurs in their own economies where they're not bound by you know because developing software for that is really not that hard not in today's world with so much availability of you know open source technologies and so on And the availability of skills almost anywhere that you can rent out that it is much easier to develop that software but the value really is in the business model which now can be applied almost universally
1: yeah you talked about uber and we had a we had a reference of airbnb also so with with the advent of or the use of internet wasn't internet supposed to remove these uh uh, what you call as middleman, like Uber or Airbnb, and connect uh, customers <laughs> directly.
2: Now, very well said. You know, uh, it's kind of interesting that uh, you know if you if you look at it, even in a way, Google is a middleman too, right? And so is Facebook, oh, yeah. because Google does not own any information; they are providing mm-hmm. basically a directory to all the resources that people are putting on the world, mm-hmm. and also, Facebook is the same way, and in fact, Amazon was the first example of a classical uh, you know, middleman that got introduced to the market. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in some ways, the internet was supposed to remove these middlemen, mm-hmm. and it actually did eliminate all the old middlemen, mm-hmm. and now the new middlemen have come in. Mm-hmm. And the difference, which is somewhat interesting, is that, that the previous middlemen, if you look at you know they offered something else and today's middleman has a direct connection to the customer which is a big difference between today's middleman and yesterday's middleman okay and they build that relationship right i mean how much you know how many times if you know if i might you know you probably went to i don't know best buy or something for years and years did Best Buy ever have your credit card information and you know in the old days probably not right? No and today Amazon already has your credit card information you can do a one click dial and not only that they also know what exactly you bought last time Mm -hmm. and if you order the same product they can tell you hey by the way you haven't bought uh, that you know shaving cream for so long so they'll even give you a recommendation that maybe you should right.
1: Paul I picked a few points and uh, I need you to elaborate on it. That'll be helpful. So one thing is clear, technology companies, they are defied the conventional rules of entrepreneurship, which is pretty good to start new businesses and uh, they're spread over multiple geographies. And, and definitely they have very business, very different business needs and they get supported by very different kind of investors and resources. If you can share with our listeners some examples of other tech companies, uh, they evolve and they impact the globalization and I link it with uh, what you mentioned earlier that developing software has become a commodity you know and, and what impact does it have on global business if it's become a commodity i still pay for my software
2: yeah i mean i think you know if you look at how many retailers today you know have filed for bankruptcy in the last five to ten years and i think you can probably single-handedly name the reason for that to be amazon which at the core of it is a technology company right but in a in a global sense it's really a retailer and it has caused more bankruptcy for other retailers now you look at tesla right i mean what is tesla tesla calls itself a software company But what did it do, really? I mean, it's actually a battery company, if you think about it. And it has disrupted the whole automobile industry to the extent that, you know, automobile industry is finally waking up and saying, oh, God, I got to respond. Because my cars did not change for the last 20 years. The amount of changes in the car industry versus in the last two to three years I think probably is way more in the last two to three years than has occurred in the last 20. Mm-hmm. And I think in the next five years, there will be even more changes than we have seen in the last 50.
1: So rate of change is further increasing.
2: Yeah, I think what is happening is that all of the industries, you know, if you remember the creative destruction. So right. this is actually a very good model of creative destruction that is starting to happen not just you know technology companies disrupting other technology companies which is what used to happen now the technology companies are coming in to disrupt non-technology businesses and that is really the key I mean Airbnb uber you know Airbnb single-handedly without owning a single property has disrupted the hotel industry uber not owning a single car has actually disrupted the whole, you know, taxi industry. So that is very profound, very interesting change. That if the businesses don't start listening to it, uh, you know, their their companies will be disrupted completely, and they won't be around.
1: So basically, and uh, the so jobs have been created by entrepreneurs, and especially we talked about U.S. and some other geographies too. And now they are, they are, the entrepreneurship is disrupting uh, the existing organizations unless uh, they fix it. And uh, the technology is not only technology and softwares and, and uh, digital side, it's impacting the other industries too. The machines are becoming automated now. What do you think? Mm-hmm. How should the big companies respond to that?
2: You know, um, first and foremost, I think for any big company, uh, it has to start from the top. The CEO of that company has to recognize that he or she has to change the culture of the company to make it more innovative, right? And so what do CEOs actually ended up doing? They, they just sort of, you know, brought in new roles called chief innovation officer, chief digital officer, and said, oh, okay, my job is done. Fortunately, that's just the beginning of the job. Mm-hmm. because if you don't give them the power the budgets and the resources to make change nothing will happen because remember like you said there is too much inertia right and so a lot of the people who are already in those positions uh, you know of power managing business units aren't going to want the change unless their businesses get disrupted by someone else so Innovation, in my mind, will succeed in company, number one, if the CEO is committed and involved in this effort. And you have to start with baby steps. You have to start with, how do my customers, how do I react with my customers? How do I make my customers buy these products? What are they buying? How are they buying it? And are they likely to change it tomorrow? Because my belief is that in the next 5 to 10 years, the businesses that don't build a direct relationship with their customers, no matter what channel of distribution they use, but if they don't have a direct relationship with their customers, they won't be thriving. So basically, and
1: the technology could be one means of having a direct linkage with the customer.
2: Absolutely. I mean, look hmm. at Dollar Shape Club, right? A company that came out of nowhere in four years it's doing 150 million dollars and has a reoccurring revenue stream something you know png and unilever and others would love to have and then obviously labor brothers ended up buying it mm-hmm. um, but that's a model which really shows the the disruption ahead
1: uh, paul uh, we are uh, going to take a short break now we'll continue our discussion after the break
3: The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are having a very exciting discussion today with uh, Paul Singh, an author, entrepreneur, and a mentor from California. Paul, we were talking about the impact of uh, the startups and the entrepreneurship on the forced change in behavior of large corporations. They are being made to think differently. We are in the last segment of our program. I wanted to uh, uh, get your uh, knowledge and share with our listeners uh, two things. One is entrepreneurship, how it is impacting global business, and how the globalization helping or supporting or impacting uh, the entrepreneurship.
2: Sure. So I think if we, uh, um, you know, the I think the, the one thing that obviously we touched on a little bit that has changed is that everybody is available on a smartphone today. Anyone, at least a consumer who has some money to spend, can really be accessed uh, in a smartphone anywhere in the world. Um, so by the very nature, when I put out an application or put out something on the web i'm global from that point on because it has a global address that anybody can access
1: that's a great that's a great point um basically once you have an app it's available to anybody anybody
2: can download anywhere exactly okay so i think so therefore uh, you know it's kind of interesting in some of my companies it was interesting to us is that after you know trying to sell even though as an entrepreneur I select my market to be uh, my demographic to be you know US but I find that I already have people who have downloaded the apps all the way from Philippines and Vietnam and uh, you know Middle East and so on and so forth so that is not something I can control anymore Um, so therefore the businesses have to start thinking differently so every every business is today a global business from day one because whether you sell your product or not if it is a digital product it's available online and if it is not a digital product it can be shipped elsewhere Um, so that's one aspect of business that has changed the second aspect you mentioned is that how does you know in the other way how does the globalization help the entrepreneur Obviously, it helps for me to create new markets that are much easier to create now than they were before but also the the capital which used to be like very restricted to a certain parts now the capital is readily available you know there are many global funds that have invested in silicon valley and some of the silicon valley funds have gone out and invested in uh, far away as india and china and other places and israel and so on where they see the opportunity so on the whole it has been a very positive interaction on both ways Helping entrepreneurs as well as the globalization helping the entrepreneurs.
1: That's a great point. So basically, the globalization and the availability of global business because of technology and digital age has created a bigger role for entrepreneurship because they can, they, they normally now do not contribute to the economy, the place where they are located, they are impacting global locations. There could be somebody's product, a company could be in US, but the product is coming from any part of the world and being supplied into US or from US to any other part of the world and uh, it may not be visible where it's coming where it's going because it's all digital and, and the transportation and the logistics are so smooth and streamlined now. So It looks like the entrepreneurship has a major role now in the growth of global businesses. They will provide that extra impetus into the growth of global economy. Uh, because they are lean, they are flexible, and they are leveraging the global resources very well in terms of capital, in terms of customers, in terms of supplier also. Yes, the large corporation can also do it, but they've been already doing business in one way. They may be fixed in their ideas. They may be having their processes already fixed, and they may not be as nimble or as uh, not capable of risk taking as an entrepreneur would be, and they probably would be able to use. The global business environment uh, more effectively so looks like entrepreneurship will have a major role in future especially in the digital
2: age absolutely you're absolutely right and i think uh, like we talked about earlier the big businesses have to start thinking differently and um, there is always this thing in big companies where i work in, and then i also work with a lot of companies and in their innovation strategies and. Uh, the big question always before investing in a new idea or a new product is, oh, uh, is it a billion dollar idea today? And the answer is many ideas when you start are not really business, business billion dollar ideas, but they become so once invested and nurtured and, you know, the growth spreads. And so sometimes the big companies have to take those risks too, uh, otherwise they will end up buying. companies that have actually taken the risk and probably paying a lot more money um for you know getting some uh, reduction in the risk
1: right just to share with our uh, listeners today the top five reasons why people become an entrepreneur the top one is money second is flexibility of being your own boss and third is you have control over the decisions being made in your business. The decision making is yours uh, because you're taking the risk. Uh, the fourth one is you have the flexibility or the ability to pick your team and you decide who do you want to work with and, and you pick up the right set of people who complement your skill set uh, and, and you make that choice. And The last one is which is that you want to leave a legacy. You want to leave your footprint. You feel good about creating something and then uh, it's flourishing in future.
2: So oh. I think I, 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 my point is that I think the biggest reason most successful entrepreneurs start the company is actually the last one. Legacy. They want to make a change.
1: Fantastic. They want to
2: leave a legacy. And so, that's what really keeps them going.
1: So maybe the legacy instead of, maybe um, uh, it, it may not be in the same sequence, uh, but in, if it, we were to put in the sequence, then legacy should come up, number one. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, in terms of countries, surprising, most entrepreneurial countries in terms of entrepreneurs per capita, not with the size of the companies, the number of companies, just entrepreneurs per capita. Uganda is highest with twenty-eight point one percent. Thailand mm-hmm. second with sixteen point seven percent. Brazil thirteen point eight percent. Cameroon thirteen point seven. Vietnam thirteen point three percent. And if you look at uh, the global environment, the top three most funded industries in entrepreneurship or the startup, whatever you call it, number one definitely is software and and, and you covered it very well. Uh, You covered the others too. The second is media and entertainment and the third one is biotechnology. So Paul, thank you so much. This was a great discussion and uh, definitely there's a lot happening in the global market and entrepreneurship has a major role to play it looks like in future and i would like you to provide your closing comments and then we are at the end of the program
2: sure well thanks for first of all for giving me this opportunity and uh, i think uh, like i said earlier entrepreneurship is is a culture change it's a culture shift it is something that is not restricted to smaller companies every big company should become entrepreneurial because if they don't the entrepreneur uh, is going to come and disrupt them. Like we said, entrepreneurship is about, uh, you know, constructive, uh, is, a, is a way to disrupt, it's a constructive dis, uh, disruptiveness, and that is going to happen in many industries. The first phase of the entrepreneurship only disrupted uh, technology industries by technology industries. The next phase is, is where more technology companies are going to come and disrupt the non-technology companies so it is really important that all the big companies, all the established companies start thinking about innovation, start thinking about entrepreneurship and start disrupting themselves before somebody else comes in and disrupt themselves.
1: Oh, that's very well said. So we are, we are all seeing the positive impact of entrepreneurship and it has major role to play in future. And uh, it'll be great to see how entrepreneurship creates new opportunities, new innovations to improve the human life. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.